and welcome to the Dice They're Screaming. <laughs> or groaning. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> Ooh. That's a big thump. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form the Gestalt known as the Dice You're Screaming podcast coming at you a week late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, technical difficulties. Yeah, well, that's what we're going to call it, technical difficulties. Yeah, Anchor was down just as we were getting ready to do our little podcast thing. And, well, you know, just uh, the stars were not right. So Yeah, I had a brutal uh, shift change at work. So uh, it's been, you know, much earlier mornings for me. Uh, and very hard, very hard shifts. So, uh, missing that window period just meant we had to regroup our forces and try again a week later. Uh, and here we are. Yeah. In spite of all the obstacles, even though we're just the podcast that makes Odiugs turn up their noses and walk away. Gosh. Yeah, they're not putting up with that. Oh, oh, ew. Oh. <laughs> oh, we scared the flies off the Odiug. Ooh. Yeah, that, that's a pretty heavy descriptor there. That's Oh, we're not that bad. Oh, well, Perhaps. we're not that good either. So, no, yeah, but, let's not yeah, get ourselves. Yeah, but we're not that good. So. Let's not get ourselves. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a week, so we're just a little late, but we're still uh, cranking this uh, little three-parter out, so we're going to be doing the second parter today. Uh, we hope you're having a pretty good, um, well, it's just in here in the 1st of December, so we see Christmas decorations going up, and maybe you're sick of that or whatever, but hey, man, we hope that you're enjoying uh, at least part of the season in this lockdown, quarantined environment, but uh, keeping safe and doing all the things that you need to do. Is that my cat here, and now has to announce his presence. That's Ragnar the Mighty. Yeah, yeah. Magna- Ragnar is speaking up uh, pro-mask, so... Yeah, wear that. Yeah, so wash those paws and keep that social distancing. And, you know, just remember, toilet paper is the new currency of the post-apocalyptic world. So <laughs> try to leave some for everybody. Just take what you need. No hoard. No, no. Uh, uh, I'm not going to be smuggling a tanker full of it past the biker mutants. <laughs> yeah. Just walk away from that big... Load of toilet paper. <laughs> Just walk away. No one else has to die. Oh, no, no, nothing that awful. Uh, I, I got to admit, the holiday season uh, is, is getting to me in a positive way. I, I yeah. like it. I feel good about it. Because it is December 1st. We are officially post-Thanksgiving. You know, after December 1st. You, you get into the new month, and this is... The actual time during which Christmas is supposed to be celebrated. Now, I know there's enthusiasts who, you know, like four months earlier, uh, they bypass all the other holidays on the way to, you know, like, I want my Christmas tree up in August. You yeah. Know, and, uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm covering stuff in tinsel. There's lit stuff flickering in front of my house. No, I, I'm not down with that. But once we cross the threshold yeah. into December proper, you know, I'm all of a sudden, that part of me that loves Christmas comes to life just like it ought to and says, ah, wonderful. Enjoy. Yeah. And so uh, we're also going to be some ga- covering some gamer loot. And again, uh, 
Thanks to all our supporters out there for helping us make this a merrier Christmas for us all. And we hope it uh, pans out for everybody to have at least the best Christmas you can, all things considered. But anyway, we have a call-in to do. Uh, Jason oh, called in, and so we're going to put him on, and then we'll be right back after that. Hello, Jason. So, stick around. And we're back. So, thanks a lot, Jason. Hey, oh, always yeah. great hearing from you, man. Glad you liked. I know we're trying to run with a kind of mythic theme and its connection to uh, role-playing games. Because uh, our favorite games all have that, uh, they have that connection to something very primal, very original, and very worthwhile, in my opinion. I mean, anthropologically exciting. Uh, and although I know that people often look at these things as amusing little pastimes uh, and, you know, fun storytelling and yeah, okay, it's all of those things too. Uh, but there is a wonderful connection to human history, uh, a, a attempt in the modern age to reconnect to something that has slipped through our fingers in the, the last couple of centuries. So, you know, big fans. And that's, that's what this little trilogy is about. This uh, three-part session, of which this is number two, uh, it's really about, we're, we're poking at, you know, <laughs> um, we're using a bent stick to poke at the rotten corpse of, of gaming. <laughs> oh, well, I wouldn't exactly call gaming Let, these let's, days. Let's talk about, no, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, it, it's not that bad. No. Uh, I'm just saying that, like, we're, you know, tragic onlookers. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, we Looking at the roadkill. Yeah, we definitely stand on the shoulders of giants on this one, uh, specifically literary giants as well as gaming giants. So, but yeah, um... Just on that, uh, also thanks for understanding the mangling of some of these words. Man, they are some hard... Oh, yeah. It's all Greek to me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> As a matter of fact, yes, some of it is. <laughs> One would think Latin would just be easy to pronounce, but they never make it that way. Well, and never speak it near any books. There you go. <laughs> yep. Misspeaking Latin can lead to tragedy. <sighs> Consult your local demonologist before using. Yeah, my collection of grimoires, uh, you know, it, it's a no Latin zone surrounding them. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no Latin. Oh, well, that's why law books are written in Latin. Hmm, our connection. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the other language of demonology. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> legal. <laughs> I will make it legal. All right. <laughs> Get this stunted slime out of my sight. <laughs> oh, I got called stunted slime. <laughs> well, again. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we appreciate your call-ins on that, and uh, thanks for understanding our mangling of basic language skills. So, <laughs> Yeah, it is problematic. Uh, this, this field does lend itself to some pretty arcane and esoteric language that it's so outdated... Uh, some of these concepts, you know, there are no modern words for them. You have to fall back upon the historic. There's, there's no other option. Um, there isn't another thing to name them unless you get all uh, creative and original, in which case no one else knows what you're talking about. Uh, but, yeah, we know your pain, dude. Right. And, uh, well, uh, 
I guess just no more beating around the bush. Might as well just jump right into it and uh, get into our second one. This was our <coughs> ruins and relics. And what we're going to talk about today is basically the ruins part of things. Um, yeah, uh, I think that there's a certain ambience that comes with ruins. And the fact that the, many of the treasures contained within are the reward to the risk. And the risk, of course, being the challenge of not only getting to the ruins but getting out of them alive with the things that you got and plundered from them. Yeah, in our last episode, we touched on things like, you know, the, the journey to going into the deep, dark place, you know, embracing fear, labyrinths, things like that. Yeah, why? Now, here, we're talking about the palpable presence of antiquity, the, the yes. ruin, the, the rubble of something great was here before so long ago that... You know, I can look down my lineage and still not have had one relative who would have known what this place was or what it was for. Um, <laughs> that sense, which, let's face it, uh, uh, in human history, that's, that's a recordable phenomenon. Uh, that, you know, people have lived side by side with Things that they had only the vaguest idea who built. Uh, now, you know, let's face it, the, the Romans at least had good advertising. So True. Uh, they got the proper credit for all the things that they built. Everybody knew, like, oh, I was built by the Romans. You know, so uh, at least Europe had a pretty firm grasp of where that stuff came from and who it was that built it. But not everybody really knew when and where. Right. I'll but like there were things that predate even that. And in many cases, the understanding of that is completely gone. Well, for instance, Scarabray. Oh, yeah, which, I mean, nobody even knew it was there until it was stumbled upon. Uh, and no one certainly realized exactly how old it was until far too late, much like Gobleketepe in Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope I pronounced that right. But Well, we'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. who's there to refute me? ha, ha, ha. That's right. That's the way it's said from now on. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I kid, I right. kid. Uh, but yeah, there are multiple examples. Uh, Nan Modal, uh, which was a something of a temple complex in uh, the, I think, the South China Sea, if I remember right. But it's on an island, and it's black basalt. Now, this wasn't done many thousands of years ago. But at the time that it was done, somewhere like, yeah, but what is it, uh, a thousand or fifteen hundred years ago, um, that island chain has no black basalt. <laughs> uh, they had to move it by sea to build it there. Uh, these accomplishments, you know, it's taken us time, even in this century, just to unravel how the heck could these things have been done. So even now, in the 21st century, we're looking with awe and surprise and hunting for explanations of how stuff got there. So it makes perfect sense that in a great adventure setting, you've got places to go, ruins, uh, rubble, uh, leftovers of previous civilizations that have fallen into disuse and disrepair. Uh, and that is where you're headed, because who knows what may lie within those places. Right, and a lot of the crazy monsters out of myth and legend reside there. 
Sometimes forlorn guardians still fulfilling a task like the ancient Sphinx and others, or... Cursed guardians, uh, you know, forced to stay and protect. Something Uh, that's no longer there. Yeah, things that, like, it no longer matters. Everyone that could possibly have cared about it is long gone. But they're still stuck. (laughs) Or the vengeful dead. Right, so, um... Just waiting for somebody with a pulse who's dumb enough to wander into their turf. (laughs) <laughs> and being able to articulate that into game material is what we're going to cover. But I would also want to put that since most of us, and I'm just going to throw this out here, that most of us are Americans probably listening to this. Uh, our stats show that a great deal many are, but others are not. And we'd like to hear from you on this, uh, the difference, because I didn't grow up, ne- grow up next to ruins. But I did grow up next to some uh, places... Uh, you know, it was not uncommon up north of where we live to find Indian um, relics, Native American uh, relics, uh, arrowheads. I remember finding an arrowhead and was just so, you know, over the moon with myself because I was, wow, I just found an arrowhead. Yeah, you know, it's common. It's, oh. it's not unheard of, I should say common. It's not unheard of to find them here and there uh, up uh, north. In the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, my, I believe it was Cousins. Uh, were uh, playing around on the beach of one of the islands up north and unearthed a cannonball uh, from the French and Indian War. Yeah, and so we are probably in America our most common antecedent to a ruin would be the burned down or abandoned house you boarded up. And, you know, it always seems to attract and draw you. You know, there could be something in there. And yet there's this atmosphere this almost uh, gothic splendor attached to it that you know there could be something else in there too and usually it was a raccoon but you know <laughs> no uh, all right fair enough that now, hey you know way out behind uh the house i grew up in in battle creek uh, there was in the interzone between uh the next street and mine like about it's about a mile and a half to get out to the next street. Uh, and at that uh, three-quarters mark at the end of the property line, uh, there was a foundation that I found when I was a kid. And, you know, it was a poured, like, old-fashioned, you know, cracked-up old cement, uh, which means that at some point uh, in the past century, probably turn of the century. I mean, if people had started to use cement for cement floors, then you would pass a certain threshold for technology. So uh, it couldn't have been that old. And yet there were no walls. There was no nothing. Uh, Everything else was gone. Just the foundation. And just these little tidbits of junk left around, rotting, uh, rusting. And one had to assume that at some point there must have been a path to some kind of measurable road sometime in the last century. Uh, But all of it was gone. Not one trace remained to indicate who lived there or for how long. Uh, And no idea where they went or, you know, I mean, the community had to have been shaped in such a way uh, that this was accessible at one point 
and yet in my lifetime it had ceased to be the case. So it doesn't take very long, like less than a century, and what was once a place that people lived in vanishes into nothing, uh, retreats into undergrowth or overgrowth, uh, just covered in weeds and you know, the trees surround it, and before long, no one could possibly tell you why it was even there. Now, that haunted house since, if there's still the shell of the house, uh, you know, we, it doesn't always have to be grand stone ruins. No, it doesn't. Uh, the sinister secret of Saltmarsh. Oh, yep, uh, there you go. U1 begins with a run-down, half-rotted old house that belonged to an alchemist that... Yeah, a man you know, that had has fallen on disrepair. And it's big, and there's a lot of rooms in it, and there's plenty of room for adventure and excitement, despite the fact that it's just one house. I, how awesome is that? Right, and so into that, you bring the character's focus into the ruins of what was once a great and thriving civilization or an area of commerce or trade. And now you have no idea what it was or is there. And so we're just going to delve right in with uh, one of the classics just released of classics, a game system, a rune quest with the smoking ruin and other stories. Now this is uh, one of the nicer entries that I bought this year. Uh, not that nothing, everything is uh, terrible or nothing measures up uh, to this, but um, the Smoking Ruins itself made for RuneQuest as they were troll ruin. And uh, if you know anything about trolls in, in RuneQuest, uh, that needs all needs to be said. But <laughs> it's filled with all sorts of surprises. It's got a few traps, but in being the true RuneQuest fashion, it's an above-ground exploration that requires caution, skill, and nerve to unearth the secrets of this troll-haunted ruin. And oh, obviously the restless spirits of the trolls who once dwelled there. And the reason why it smokes or steams and seas, giving it its moniker, is of course the big part of the mystery of the adventure. And it adds a certain atmosphere to it. Uh, you can also look at Pavis and Big Rubble or uh, in Earth Dawn, Parlength. Above ground ruins that have multi-layers to it as well as small areas just to encounter and explore. For instance, in Parlance, you can just go for a few rooms to delve in and fight a few uh, nasties here and there. Or you can spend an entire uh, session or series of sessions delving into a larger unearthed or newly unearthed complex that was uh, part of the ruins of Parlance. And Pavis follows pretty much the same set as well, but uh, Pavis coming first, Parlance is a reflection of that and we've talked about it on our Earth Dawn, but yeah, the smoking ruins for me, when I read that, that really took me back, and I started thinking about the presence of above-ground ruins, and this one from an elder race in RuneQuest, which is predates man by some time. The trolls are a, not necessarily foe, but they're not friendly to humans. Uh, they can be dealt with, and obviously you can play one, yeah. But they are a different race that dwells completely in darkness rather than just like has a few you know, tricks up their sleeve. There's no bioluminescence. <laughs> they dislike light extremely. They, they are completely, we are adapted to the darkness where you merely used it. <laughs> we are shaped by it. Yeah, that's Bane. 
<laughs> so yeah, the, it has this great splendor to it that I just it really uh, brings me into it. And also Call of Cthulhu, we're going to go into that with a little bit of the uh, Mass of Nilarthotep. There's several ruins there that they delve into, and uh, I was even looking in the Fragments of Fear, one of the second uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, supplements that had a very nice ruin in Africa that uh, very evocative and uh, turns out to be a Migo ruin. Oh, wow. Uh, underneath uh, that uh, lake has shifted from uh. during the 20s. It was actually an archaeological thing, but uh, Larry Dottilio and a couple others uh, worked on that one as well. I, as I understood some of the lore about that, it was supposed to be into Mass and Nightmare, but it got put on the cutting floor. So. Oh. Well, space consideration. Yeah, I mean, it was it's already, already massive. A large campaign settings. So. Yeah, so it was massive. But yeah, just looking at those things, I mean, just the exploration alone and the hazards there contained, just not the traps, but also the terrain getting there. Well, and good that you mentioned Call of Cthulhu, because, I mean, how many Call of Cthulhu episodes take place in an old house on the east coast of the United States, owned by the same family for 250 years? The Watleys. Fallen into disrepair and disrepute uh, because of the slow encroaching madness that overtook every scion of that family <laughs> name. Yeah, all right. Well played, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, magnificent and yet nearly decrepit uh, at the same time. You know, like that, that sense of fading glory where... Something that was once, it had a life that was vibrant and, uh, you know, it knew times of great abundance and, you know, considerable yeah. wealth and success and prosperity. And then it slowly ebbed away. And yep. what you're looking at is the leftovers. Pavis and Big Rubble, specifically. Big Rubble, the name that was just given by the barbarians of Prax. Like, what is that? It's a Big Rubble. What's in there? A lot of things. Like, well, sometimes you come out with treasure. Sometimes people never come out at all. But again, it was a thriving, vibrant place that now is just a ruin and a wreck. And yeah, you can go in there, but ooh, sometimes you don't like what you find. But there we go into the uh, relics part. And yeah, here we talked about the tombs of Vikings and Celts and the many uh, peoples uh, from the migrations, uh, the barbaric invasions, if you want to get uh, right down to it, the Goths, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths. Yes. The <laughs> Eastern, Western Goths is really what it is. The Perky Goths. <laughs> the non-Perky Goths, the not-so-Goth Goths, and the really Goth Goths. Yeah, you get into those folk and the Lombards and the others. They also carried with them these legends of the places that they would find on their travels and how it haunted their memories and the things that they found within, but also what they left behind that were discovered ages later with just no cause for why they abandoned it and oh. left all their valuables there. And as Mike can attest from cleaning out several apartments, people <laughs> are often prone to leave behind shockingly valuable items in their haste to yeah, evacuate. A crazy aspect, an anthropological aspect to uh, refurbishing apartments, you know, being the person who comes in to make a place look good so that someone new can live there. Uh, and occasionally you, you find these things that like, why on earth would someone leave this? Now, hey, look, you know, if they left behind stuff that 
they had absolutely no use for and that uh, they, they were just exhausted and overwhelmed in the process of moving and they left behind a few uh, less valuable things. I, nobody really notices or cares about that. But you do occasionally unearth, like, what what were they thinking? You know, why? You know, I, I don't even have these people's names. I can't find them and call them and ask. Do you want this? I mean, you know, you really shouldn't just leave stuff like this under a pile of clothes. And, yeah. No, but uh, I, I think in a more relevant point, uh, when I was in London, uh, I was wandering through the financial district. And I passed by a archaeological dig. Yeah. In, in the middle of you know, London's financial district, there was an archaeological dig for... Uh, they were excavating a Roman portion of a settlement. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it used to be Londinium. Yeah. This, the things that they were uprooting were likely no less than uh, 1,600 years old and you know, quite possibly somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple of thousand. So, wow. you know, at, <laughs> yeah, and, I, or no, I, I, it might've been 1500 years ago, well, but I, I'm well, a yeah. little iffy on the exact emperor that was in charge of it. But uh, point being uh, here, you have the most extreme example of modernity, the, the center of modern London and you know, one of the great just, cities of the world, you know, 15, 20 feet beneath the ground is an entire existence that has been forgotten by everyone who was alive today. Well, yeah, and look at China and Japan and India, how much they uncover when they do modern builds. Oh, and uh, speaking in new terms, uh, I had just read that there had been the finding of the body of a Scythian warrior, uh, oh, who, as right. it turns out, was a 13-year-old girl uh, and that the Scythians and their culture of, you know, like both genders uh, being trained for battle at all times, uh, both for defense and offense, uh, the Scythians may have been the root source of the legend of the Amazon. Yeah. Uh, because of the ferocity of their warrior women. So, I mean, it was just an amazing find. And uh, the thing that confused people was that you know, they had assumed it was a male grave because the person was buried with... You know, the honorifics, yeah. And, and it was not uh, unheard of for there to be female warriors, but uh, to have a female grave with nothing that would normally be associated with femininity at all. Uh, this was, you know, a warrior who was apparently buried with all warriors' honors. Uh, and, man, that it... The mummification was so complete that they were still able to distinguish a, a wart on the face. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I but, didn't know that part, but yeah, I'd heard about that. that they actually found out they were surprised that, oh, it's a, it's a girl. But this is the stuff that brings to life uh, what we try to bring to life in gaming. Right. And just like in the, the smoking room, which I'm trying to tout a little bit. There's a lot of great treasures to be had there because trolls, while they don't use fire for anything, I mean, they make all their armor and weapons out of lead, bone, and wood, things that they can find and utilize. For them, it works because they're very strong and large. And extremely uncool with fire and daylight. <laughs> Just, nope, nope, nope. Nope. But I like that RuneQuest, uh, one, gave them a full-fledged civilization, 
and then developed workarounds. You're like, how would they have developed without access to these tools? Uh, because if fire is off the table, you've lost a major implement. Uh, yeah, but it didn't stop them one bit. Yep, they tried anyway. They went with stone and bone, the first ones, and then they found lead, which was beatable into a shape. And they use it. Bazanted lead armor. Yep. Which, the malleability of lead means that that's totally, you know, a believable scenario. You can just beat lead into the shape you want. As long as you're not worried about winding up mad as a hatter. Well, they don't suffer from lead poisoning like yeah. other races. But, again, the the treasures to be had are worth the challenge. But also, not only did we find... The real treasure we found out was the friendships we made along the way. No, uh, uh, the real <sighs> stories that you made were the legends... How and, much can I sell that for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we were just playing Bone Hill last night, and... Uh, <laughs> I came across some of the furniture, and I said, well, if Mad Mike is not here, so... We... <laughs> I mean, I could tell you what each one of these chairs is worth, but uh, no. Uh, yeah, we don't have a U-Haul to bring it back to <laughs> Falcon's Hollow, so... But anyway... I, Those uh, are called henchmen. Yeah. Well, I... Why do you think I hired, like, eight torchbearers? True. <laughs> but yeah, but the Bone Hill is another great ruin that's built on a castle. Just seen a great battle... Just a couple decades prior. And it's in great disrepair, of course, haunted by ghouls, ghasts, skeletons, lots of them, and zombies, and as well as ghoul sturges. Oh, boy, that oh. put the fear of the DM in them. Thanks and, a lot, Lynn Lakofka. Of course, bugbears and that crazy magician. But exploring the whole place has a story to it, and that's what really draws players in. That make, what makes it memorable. Now, people say that, like, hey, Caves of Chaos is memorable all on its own, and I'm with you on that one. Oh, but sure. But what we're going for here is there's a story that's being told here that you can uncover. And bringing that ambience of those ruins and the lost splendor and the mystery of the place, along with the monsters that are appropriately sized. But, for instance, in a ruin... Uh, Lamia is much more at home. Oh, perfect in a ruin example. Than uh, say Lucrata. Yeah, Lucrata and other, um, and of course the undead, uh, all shades of them. No kidding. <laughs> uh, no an Example, uh, Medusa. Yeah. You know, you know. You, oh, what lovely statuary that it is. <laughs> you know, just every player with any degree of experience knows that. You know, that warning shot across the starboard bow when the DM describes how how lovingly the statuary represents the, the you know, physical form. You're like, oh, it's so incredibly beautiful and accurate. It's like it just frozen into... Oh, yeah, it's one of those. Uh, so, yeah, another perfect example of things that don't necessarily live under the earth. They're perfectly willing to inhabit ruins, explore outwards. Yeah, and you day, can find a Shadu or Sphinx there as well. These Fair would enough. be perfect locations for such monsters and creatures. Besides just having combatants, they could, you know, a uh, Sphinx could very well be there from an ancient oath that has yet to be fulfilled, living up to its obligations long after all the inhabitants have passed into memory. And it is with that splendor that you bring forth the unique audience of the ruins. The relics, of course, are tied to the ruins themselves. Now, I believe in Bone Hill, the Holy Chal Holy Water Chalice that's located in there near the race lairs. As I yes, yeah. that is the relic you quest for on yeah. behalf of the clerics. 
Yeah, the clerics. and uh, Which gets you some access to some nifty healing at your lower levels. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. They That'll well. save you a pretty penny. And believe me, you'll need some healing because, uh, you know, I the last time I ran a character through there, uh, I was very proud of my dwarf fighter cleric and, until a uh, orcish subchieftain pounded his skull down into his ribcage, uh, thereby requiring raising from the dead. Uh, but hey, those clerics came through for us, and that was our adventure hook moment to go on the quest for the yeah. chalice. That was what they wanted, and that made my resurrection worth their while. Yeah, um, my wife's playing a barbarian, and she found the bronze horn of Ahala last night. So now she's got a barbarian. Every party she's at is going to be a barbarian party. <laughs> Ain't no party like a barbarian party, because yep. the barbarian <laughs> party don't stop. And here they come. <laughs> We're here to fight. Oh, but there's food and victuals for you. Okay. I'm all right with that. Can we attack those? <laughs> or eat them. Help yourselves. Yeah, yeah. At your leisure. Work it out however you like. It's okay. We're We're hip. But, see, there you go. It's the whole idea of making not only the items fit, but they have attached memories to them. And that's what you're building for is that splendor. Yeah, let's talk relics, man. I mean, Yeah, we're talking know, about not only the gugas and little trantalums that come out of those ruins, but the mass of most of our knowledge of the people that we tend to call barbarians... And let's be fair here that the Romans were very fond of calling anybody less advanced than them as barbarians. Yeah, I mean, if like uh, they, you know, didn't have the the same technical level of expertise in buildings, uh, then oh, they're barbarians. Oh, but Attila the Hun had a throne made of gold, yeah, and silver, and he traveled in a collapsible fortress. Yes, they could take it apart. It was basically tents and wood walls, but it had its own palisade around it. And it was... They carried all the parts and reassembled it every time they stopped. Pow! Instant fortress. Yeah, put it into... And, yep. and fortified fortress, okay? When we say fortress, it's not like he just put up a tent that was unusually sturdy. Um, <laughs> the surrounding fortifications, just boom! We stopped for the night, Pow! A couple hours later, well, I how do they transport it? Well, they have oxen and wagons. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a huge vanguard. Uh, yeah, so they can afford to move slow. It may take them several days to catch up, but when they decide that this is going to be an area they're going to inhabit for a while or rule from or campaign from, it wow. comes up. Set up headquarters. So, yeah, and so the instant fortress comes from that. But, yes, you know, besides just the, the you guys, the magic items, like we were talking about the. Uh, holy water chalice and these things are there because they were attached to the history and they also speak a lot about the work of the people who were there now in the case of bone hill it's not too long ago but in the smoking ruins you find several troll artifacts including spirit and uh, guardians attendant guardians with them as well some of which have to be fought but others can be placated through various means and that leads to other adventuring hooks. But all the things you garner from them have a certain trollish look to them. So when you come out of the ruins, a lot of your uh, coins are just not going to be silver and a few gold wheels. They're going to be bulgs and clacks. You know, the, the trollish equivalent of coinage. Troll money. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, and that's another big thing, too, is when you come out of these ruins. And I thought all trolls traded in was memes. That's true. Ah. 
That just happened. It did. So, <laughs> yep. And, but yeah, what what would you uh, term as a relic, so to speak, uh, rather than the uh, typical term used in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, look, I go right to the sword. I mean, because it's one of the first things that looms large in the imagination yep, of players. Weapons. Uh, you know, the Mace of St. Cuthbert, uh, you know, the Sword of Kos. Uh, now, those are Greyhawk era well, examples yeah. of artifact level events. Now, not every relic you find is an artifact. However, you can treat ordinary magical items and give them a relic-like quality simply by giving them a history. And more than once, uh, the pages from the mages, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the writings of Ed Greenwood in Dragon Magazine, highlighted marvelous magical swords that just had a few quirks and a genuine history behind Right, them. and that's a lot and, of the weapons that... Oh, it made them so much cooler. Like cooler the, than... the obsidian blade that comes from, uh, in RuneQuest and the Smoking Ruins, that was forged by the dragons, dragon newts specifically. It was, it's napped, but it works really well against dragon type, kind. Ooh. The obsidian blade, yeah. So that's a good one that you can pull from. That's a unique weapon. Now, but at this you... point, let's cue the Atlant... Tomb of the Atlantean King from Conan the Barbarian. Oh, perfect. I mean, it's a like tiny step pyramid barrow mound out in the middle of a wasteland. Uh, and there within it is this forgotten tomb of an ancient king. What a thing to find in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, just it should have had a pedestal in front of it uh, that read, you know, my name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Behold my works, ye mighty, and despair. Right. <laughs> For nothing beside remained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that was a terrific scene in Conan, and it's exactly what we're talking about. You don't have to go deep into the earth. Uh, you could have a complex of, you know, multiple fallen and or semi-fallen buildings with portions that are still intact, contained, uh, that, you know, may be difficult to access where, you know, things have tumbled down and blocked entrance, um, but the determined may be able to suss out some point of entrance and not without great risk to themselves, considering that ruins can easily be haunted by many, many things without even having them tucked away in caverns and stuff like that. They can be yeah, lurking. That's, that's why undead and automatons are usually like golems. Are Gargoyles, you, man. You know, are your go-to in these because they don't require an ecosystem to survive. Maybe ghouls, but that's no. kind of debatable. Yeah, I mean, you go deep into the under-earth and obviously uh, you have a different type of ecosystem to deal with. But... Uh, with the ruin, there's the possibility that it just resides as a, it, it's a safe haven. where it, This is where the critters come and hang their hat when they're not uh, wandering off elsewhere in search of prey. But if you make it too remote, it's very hard to explain away living creatures uh, all over the place. Like, wow, uh, there, there isn't literally a single living creature within a thousand miles. Do these things eat each other? <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the plot to Pitch Black. <laughs> True enough. <clears throat> oh, we love you, Vin Diesel, fellow gamer. But 
in these areas, you get these rare treasures, you know, literal untouched barrel mounds full of just king's ransoms of jewels, gold, chalices, and bowls, and all sorts of the barbaric splendor that you would expect out of a Robert E. Howard novel. And you make a good point there, because uh, while I wanted to emphasize the most popular things with players, which are weaponry, uh, and you know, and armor, and armor, uh, there is something else to the world of relics. Okay, and I mean, aside from coins of ancient mint, uh, the things that people used every day, uh, some of which have not been, uh, well, are part and parcel of a civilization long gone. Uh, the actual pottery, uh, like say for instance, uh, in a burial mound, you might find uh, the trappings of a war chariot, you know, along hmm. with all the javelins that, uh, you know, would have been wielded and the actual horses were there and of course were dead, but, uh, you know, still caparisoned in all of their armor <laughs> and all of these things can have value, uh, but mostly they add authenticity. They remind the players that, you know, wow, this is all stuff from another time. Right. And that brings you into the fold of when you construct a ruin. And that's when I show up and calculate the value of the Blood Birch Armoire. Right. When you build a ruin uh, or and populate it with denizens and treasures, you want to keep an eye to things that people would have kept around them. These are normal, everyday objects that, of course, maybe be jeweled or made of precious metals or whatnot. But they have a use and a practicality to them that is beyond just simple gold piece value. They meant something to these people, and that's why they were, not only were kept there, specifically in tombs, but in ruins, they were part of the everyday normality of the place you know that made life worth living a bowl made of beaten silver that is chased with gems and carvings is valuable all on its own but it carries a story and a measure of things as well with it so you know you know oh yeah i can carry more coins in this big bowl well okay <laughs> point I'm... taken i'm with you <laughs> so can a shield be upturned and used as a impromptu platter but yeah Go on. Yeah, we're going to be carting that swag out of here in boxcars. Yeah. So you have that. So when you do that, make sure your treasures uh, help show what the ruins once were used for. And give some credence to that and as well as the denizens. So that's a big point to make with the treasures because it all adds together in building the atmosphere and making it much more memorable. And that's why ruins for me are really fun to populate because they're both half dungeon and still... They've got rooms and lairs and little entrances and exits and things like that. But they also have an expanse above the ground that also has to be explored and possibly cleared out as well and navigated it at the very least. So it's very, it's a very dynamic adventure and it has a certain atmosphere to it that kind of lurks with the area. And, you know, sometimes uh, comes with you in the form of possession and hauntings and also level loss. But that's yeah. the risks of the game. Well, yeah, all right. That falls into the, the category of, you know, you might you might as well get ready for this kind of thing. Because if, if you're playing D&D, &D, it 
It happens. Yeah, adventure gaming and all that come with it. Uh, Dungeons Dragons, Pathfinder, Earthdawn, RuneQuest. They're very big into this. And, of course, Earthdawn has its uh, cares and where people shelter during the Great Scourge, um, where the Hordes came through. Those are just ready-made-to-go dungeons and ruins. Oh, yeah. That, that's <laughs> littered. Throughout Earth Dawn. Yeah, so it makes uh, it a very... throw them in at random. Yeah, you don't even really need to plan for it. But also in the basic and... Well, no, excuse me, not the basic, but the expert game, a lot of the modules had a lot of ruins uh, in them that I always liked. Like They were just like a mini set piece that you could spend a session or two just delving into. Well, so Yeah, I mean, X1, Isle of Dread. Uh, yeah, as the copper in that one yeah. uh, complex. Oh my goodness, uh, yeah, the Kelpie, the Kopru, uh, the, the Pool of the Ixaxacital, uh, and any number of other above-ground encounters. And in fact, if I recall right, the last time I was a player in that, <coughs> there was a bar guest on the aisle mm -hmm. that was particularly vexing and tormented us players. A barigua. Oh, Barligura. That was yeah. right. It was a demon, not a bar guest, a Barligura. Uh, and that uh, variety of, of demon uh, was just a perpetual tormentor of the party until we finally... Uh, Brung it to ground, yeah. Sheesh. Setting guards up and losing sleep and Harry to the end uh, with always stealing and ruining food and equipment. Oh, uh, yeah. It trashed our stuff every night. Uh, until we started posting guards, and even then, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it basically meant uh, everybody taking shifts and staying really close. Yep. <laughs> also, never let your familiars out of your sight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lesson learned. Yeah. But yeah. Life um, lesson learned. But so even that has a certain flavor to it, and, you know, that's kind of going almost to Mesoamerican type of mythos or ruins but those are very evocative in and of themselves not only just for their exoticness but because well we still don't know why they vacated so many of these cities when they were obviously in good working order yeah that uh up to a certain point uh there just isn't evidence that these things had ceased to be viable yeah which led to air maybe there was a curse upon them or the people felt that there was an ill omen about it yeah, I mean, it, it may have been a sentiment that uh, was purely spiritual. Uh, and therefore lacks uh, like some kind of palpable physical representation in like some kind of record uh, for us to go to. If it was simply a feeling, you know, a, a widespread sentiment, uh, then... It, it, we may never find any evidence to explain precisely why. Yep, and so it's a mystery yet to be solved. Uh, oh, well, you know, cue the knows? Robert Stack. I mean, uh, given the prevalence of uh, illness at that time, maybe maybe the vast diaspora was people <laughs> going, "Hey, you know, when we're all crowded together, everybody gets sick and dies." Hmm. Uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but we might be relearning that lesson in this era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, packing them in like sardines is not necessarily a health-conscious move. You could have a perfectly viable city and still have it be a crippling uh, endangerment to its own populace. 
Yeah, yeah. That I went there, but you know. Yeah. It's food for thought. It's just food for thought. We're just we're just saying. But it's just like, do you want ruins? This is how you get, you get ruins. ruins. Yep. <laughs> um <laughs> No, I, I think in the in the going back to the Robert Stack, was there anything in the eighties, late eighties that was worse than listening to you knew Shit was about to get real when Robert Stack came on and the Unsolved Mysteries theme started playing. <laughs> Mysterious Mysteries of the Mysterious. That's right. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, when you... Ruins and relics, the things you find and bring out of them uh, stay with you and they're memorable. Uh, mostly, yeah, the weapons and armor are always useful, but amulets, rings... And other such things, even scrolls, can be very useful. But oh, you all find yeah. that in there, and so that's uh, part of the treasure to bring. But you know, and remember, not everything has to be magical. Sometimes no. things can be historical and of enormous value. Yeah, like I talked about that uh, beaten silver chalice, yeah. chased with gems. It's you know that uh, the mere existence of a collection of scrolls uh, with authentic writings from a time and a place. Uh, you know, has enormous value to scholars and to researchers. Hey, yeah, to that in weird Air- sage in Turdhaven. He really collects these. <laughs> he really gets off of these old scrolls, man. He just let, he, he'll pay us top gold for that. Uh, all right, fair enough. That uh, you know, you're you're dealing with guys like me. He's like nobody even speaks the language on these. How can they possibly be worth money? Uh, trust me. Just the fact that nobody speaks the language on these means that they are worth money. That's the point. Uh, somewhere, a Rosetta Stone moment is going to happen. Oh, yeah. It'll make people very happy. Now, but welcome to Ruins, Rubble, and Relics. Yeah. Uh, the so, other, the second facet of the uh, deep, dark dungeon delving and yeah, why and, D&D is all about it. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, just uh, not to gush too much, but if you notice I'm on the RuneQuest thing lately, it's because, well, it's been years since I've been able to buy uh, new RuneQuest products. And, man, it's coming out. And I talk about high tides lift all ships. Man, has uh, the role-playing craze. Yeah, I might as well just call it that. The craze has really uh, given all companies a lift and a return, especially the Call of Cthulhu stuff that... Chaosium is right back in there where they should have been. Yeah, they are back in their prime. This is a golden era for them and for the folks at RuneQuest. Uh, You know, just superb product coming out left and right. And I'm I'm still going to give a, you know, kudo to uh, WOTC and the fine folks uh, putting together 5E. They have been faithfully supporting their product uh, and releasing stuff you know, in a timely fashion uh, that is entertaining, attractive. Uh, and I, I got to admit, uh, having acquired a number of them, I haven't done, you know, we haven't done a specialty section on one of those products yet. Uh, you know, we, we did a little bit on them, but yeah, we, we really haven't like cracked the cover open and like went. Oh, and, but we will. The time will come, that I promise, because right. I've got some of these materials now and I've had the time to acquaint myself with them, uh, to acquaint myself with the system, to have been both a player uh, and <laughs> only slightly a DM, but mostly a player. So at long last, you know, I can actually feel comfortable uh, 
passing judgments and making, you know, Jovian proclamations about 5e product. And they're not going to be bad Jovian proclamations. There will be no hurled thunderbolts for this. Well, yeah, don't make any Jovian proclamations without the the, uh, subsidiary thunderbolts coming along. Um, Yeah, don't. If you're gonna go, if you're gonna go big, go all the way, go full ham. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we just wanted to wind that up with the next time you're doing a little bit of wilderness adventure, um, spice it up, make it pretty, put a ruin in it. <laughs> hey, yeah, we we sing their praises for a reason, which is they are part and parcel of the game. Uh, they are something that connects directly to mythology, uh, to everything that we have loved about the mythologically inspired film and literature uh, that ultimately led to the creation of the games we love. Yep. So, yeah, this this is our celebration of that connection, and thank you for listening. Yeah, so we're just going to wrap it up and head it off on that one. So thanks for participating and listening in. Uh, you know, even if you're just listening, that's a lot of participation because we know our message is getting out there. And we thank to all of you who take time to uh, give us a little favorite and a like here and there. So just keep that up. Uh, take the follow button on the download the Anchor app and take the follow button and uh, lead it out to the... Uh, no, don't take a look. Just lead it out to the middle of a beach and then uh, wait till a large saltwater crocodile swims by and push it right in there. And uh... yes, uh, That's how it learns. <laughs> <laughs> it said it couldn't swim. <laughs> Let's see if that's true. Yep. And hit that follow button so you'll be up to date on all our uh, podcasts, even when we are a little late on getting out. So anyway, thanks y'all. And uh, again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, probably have a lot of them by now. As uh, well you should. Let us know on our Facebook page at Dice of Screaming, or you can get a hold of us on Twitter at our normal places. So without further ado, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>